0: Welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast hosted by nutritional coach, Jessica Tai, where we are dedicated to promoting health and overall well-being through nutrition, specifically the ketogenic diet. We will provide you with all the latest science in nutrition, interviews with experts in the health and wellness field, and answer all your burning questions so you can find optimal health. This podcast is not intended to be used as medical advice and is to be used for informational purposes only please contact your doctor with any and all medical questions. Now here's Jessica.
1: Hey there, guys. Thanks for tuning in and listening here to the 14th episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Tai. I'm super excited that you guys are joining me tonight, and I think I have a good show for you guys tonight. I am a little bit behind in getting this out, just like I was last week. Man, I... I'm telling you that this NTA training uh, for the nutritional therapy practitioner licensing that I am going through right now along with all of my other responsibilities is kicking my butt. <laughs> so, just to be honest, I am just really trying to stay on top of that. I love it and I I love learning all about the science and and everything behind nutrition and health and wellness and and just kind of diving into all of that. And so I'm really enjoying it, but it's hard for me to, first of all, just go into something and just do enough to get by. So I'm having a hard time, not even just doing enough to get by, but just doing what I need to do. I like to really dig into stuff and dissect stuff and figure it out and and reread things and take lots of notes. And I have really got to figure out a way to manage my time better and to, Uh, not get quite so deep, maybe make notations that I can go back to and study things that I found really super interesting instead of like going down all these rabbit holes all the time. So I've really got to work on that. And, you know, it's hard. I haven't been in school in 20 years. So it's really hard kind of to like relearn how to be a student. Like I just don't have those study skills anymore and the time management skills, like the time blocking and doing all that. So, you know, writing essays, book reports, taking quizzes and stuff, this, it's, uh, it's a, uh, there's a huge learning curve after this many years, I think. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just me. But anyway, so I'm a little bit late in getting this out again this week, but I think it's going to be a good one for you. I think you're going to like it. Um, I promise I have some interviews coming up. I've got a bunch of them in the queue and hoping to get some really uh, great ones out for you guys to listen to and that you'll enjoy and it'll be uh, real, uh, just real helpful to you in your uh, health and, you know, your pursuit of health and wellness and lots of things on on ketogenic diets and not not all just ketogenic things, but just health and wellness related. And like I've told you guys before, I feel like this is a lifestyle. Keto is something that I, you know, specifically subscribe to as my lifestyle, my way of eating. It works very well for me, but I also know from working with clients that it is not necessarily the end all be all for everybody. So, so I like to talk about some other things and give people some options as well. So I'm going to try to do as much of that as I can, also, while still keeping those of you who are here trying to learn more about keto, uh, getting what you want. So um, I got a few announcements that I kind of wanted to talk to you guys about or a few little tidbits I wanted to share with you. First of all, you guys have probably realized by now we're a few minutes in that Derek is not with me tonight. Actually, I had uh, an NTA um uh like phone call or computer session. It's kind of like a Skype session that my class gets together pretty much every Tuesday night for uh, the evening and we go, you know, our instructors talk to us and we go over some things and do all that. So I had that this evening, and my husband took the kids out. Derek took the kids out to get some dinner and play. It's rainy and dreary here. So he took them to like an indoor play area to go play and have fun and and stretch their legs a little bit. And I had to do my call-in with my classroom. So now I am getting my podcast done. It has just been a really crazy busy day and uh, lots of great things happening. Some good client consultations and um, good conversation with my functional medicine practitioner, and, doctor, that I will be, um, you know, that I do refer my clients to and <clears throat> will continue to be doing that. And hope to have her here on the podcast very shortly so uh, that she can talk to you about some things that I think are super valuable and she is an expert in. So, uh, and then I wanted to share with you guys I know we've talked a lot on this podcast in the last few episodes about our little river property that we have purchased our vacation. Property Airbnb, property VRBO, whatever you want to refer to it as. And we had a kind of our first inaugural weekend there, in there this weekend. For the first time, we actually had the, we had to wait on the heating and air system to be put in. We've had a lot of um, major things done out there at the house that have been really great. And one of them, the final piece was having a brand new heating and air system put in. So we just had that completed on Saturday. So we thought it would be fun to spend our first night out there on Saturday. So we've got all the furniture in and, and all that stuff done. So all of us, with the exception of my oldest son, he wasn't able to join us, but the rest of us, so my two daughters and then my other two boys, and then my two nephews came with us. So. Uh, six kids and myself and my husband. And it was just, it was awesome. The house was just great. It was so much fun. We were out there all day Saturday, basically playing. And while my husband and I were doing work, the kids were playing. And then we walked into town. So the house is located on the uh, little Miami scenic bike trail. So it is uh, commonly referred to in our area as the Loveland bike trail. So um, in the town that it's that it's kind of named after is Loveland. And it's kind of like the the kind of the area that a lot of people it's like the destination for a lot of people that are on the trail. And so it's especially in our in our area. So our house is a half a mile from the trail you walk on it's on the trail but if you're on the you get on the trail and you walk a half a mile into the heart of Loveland like downtown Loveland it's a really quaint cute little town lots of restaurants shops fun things to do uh, parks and and all kinds of neat things so the kids love walking down there riding their bikes in so we did that on Saturday evening and we had dinner there in town we sat outside next to the trail and just kind of watched. It was kind of fun. There was it was a homecoming weekend. So there was a lot of Loveland uh, students there dressed up for homecoming and walking around in the downtown area and leaving some of the restaurants down there. So that was really fun and then we walked back home and did a little bonfire with the kids. And then we got up Saturday or Sunday morning, and Derek and I enjoyed coffee in bed, which was so cool because the way that the master bedroom is in this little house is it has French doors that look out over the bike trail. So we, so I opened up the the draperies, and we sat there in bed writing our to do notes and everything that we had going on, uh, and just kind of talking and going all, all over over all of those things while sitting there sipping our coffee and watching people go down the bike trail, it was just so relaxing. And there's just something so peaceful about that. It was, it was just amazing. It was so, just so nice. So We really really enjoyed that and then after the kids got up and got moving we walked into town and had some breakfast at a local restaurant there and then walked back home and kind of got everything packed up and left so it was great it was just a wonderful time so we will have that it's um, pretty much ready to go there's a, a couple little things little kind of trim out things I want to finish there and make sure I've got it all together. But for the most part, it's ready to rent. We've already had several requests to rent it from people we know, people in our church, stuff like that. Got a couple of events that people are wanting to schedule out there in the next few weeks. So it's, um, I think it's going to be rented a lot, which It's kind of a little bit of a bummer because I'm really enjoying staying out there. So we're going to have to book a few weekends every now and then just for ourselves because we just really enjoy it. It's just such a peaceful, serene place to be. So that's been really nice. And so that's exciting and I'll have information about that coming out when it is up and running and ready to go because I figure, you know, hey, if you're listening to this podcast and you are in town, maybe you'd like somewhere cool. It's extremely unique. There is nothing like it. Uh, There's nowhere that I'm aware of that you can rent on the bike trail and certainly nowhere you can rent on the bike trail and on the Little Miami River. So this is the one-two punch with this little house. So it's really cute and it's completely updated. Everything is, you know, brand new kitchen, brand new bathroom, brand new flooring, brand new carpet, brand, you know, new, everything, new paint, new, all new furniture, all new bedding. I mean, it's just such a cute little place. So, um, that will be, I will let you know when we get that going, or maybe if you're traveling in, you know, through this area, through Cincinnati area, or you want to come check it out, it's a beautiful place to visit. And, and you could stay there versus staying in a hotel and really get kind of the, the um, feeling. So we're half a mile from downtown Loveland and then it's about five miles. So a very easy bike ride uh, into downtown Milford, historic Milford, which is uh, another really super cute town. Lots of great places to eat, lots of little shops and antique stores and really cute things. So definitely it's a destination um, vacation home. It's a, it's a great place to come and at least spend a weekend having some fun and, and doing all that. So I'll let you know more about that when I have it going. And then I have one more super cool announcement. At least it's super cool for me. And I also wanted to share with you guys a contest that you can get entered into. So I don't know how many of you are aware or have heard of the low carb cruise. It is a cruise that Jimmy Moore puts on every year and they have, I don't know how many people of the cruise um, are actually there with the, through Jimmy and through booking through the travel agent to be on there. But it's not the entire, it's not everybody that's on the cruise ship, but it's a good a good amount of them. And so this is done through, uh, this year it's Royal Caribbean, and I don't know if it's been Royal Caribbean every year, but it's actually on their Liberty of the Seas boat. And if you have never been on that ship, I have actually done a cruise on that ship before. I think it's like their third or fourth largest ship now. When we did it, it was their second largest But um, it is a beautiful cruise ship, Um, beautiful cruise ship. It literally has like a a shopping uh, kind of mall down the center of the cruise ship. And it's just so unique and just beautiful. And, you know, I haven't been on dozens of cruises, but I've been on several. And this was easily the most beautiful ship I have been on. So anyway, we are... um, we are going to go on that. My husband and I, Derek and I are going to go on that cruise. It is in May of, uh, 2018. And the most exciting part of it is, is that Jimmy has invited me to be a speaker on that ship. Yay. Oh my gosh. It's so exciting. So anyway, with that, so what, with that low carb cruise, he has a ton of really amazing speakers that come out and give, um, you know workshops and and speeches and little you know things that you can go to and um it looks like it's about 350 people join this but so he put out a, a a notice yesterday that says uh let's see it says we okay the guest speaker list is a virtual who's who and up and comers in the keto work including Dr. Ted Naiman um, and Childer, Childers, uh, Johnny Bowden, Eric Westman, Jimmy Moore, Tom Naughton, um, Meg Dahl, Maria Emmerich, names several people. His wife, Christine Moore, um, Mike and Diana Mutzel, lots, and Jessica Ty, and many, many more. So, um, I is just shocking to see my name and writing like that as an announcement um of who's who's on this cruise and people that you'll be able to hear speak i am definitely low man on the totem pole like way low like the very bottom (laughs) but it is just such an honor and it just feels it's just amazing um to to even have that opportunity and be invited to do something like that so the really cool thing is that i wanted to share with you guys though that is Probably way more exciting to you than the fact that I'm going to be speaking on this cruise is that they are actually holding a contest for people that would like to go on this cruise that maybe can't afford to do it, that they're wanting to give away a free cruise to one lucky winner and a guest. So I wanted to give you guys the information on that. If you do not already follow Jimmy Moore on Instagram, that is where I saw him uh, post about this. I believe he posted it on some of his Facebook stuff as well, but you can follow him. He is at Low Carb Man on Instagram. So uh, it says in the, it says the one lucky winner and a guest will have the opportunity to do a free cruise. Here's how you enter, email me your full name, telephone number, and why you need to and deserve to win this contest with the subject line, Cruise Giveaway. And so you email him at at net, And they are going to be taking those entries through October 31st. And then the low carb cruise team will read through them and choose a winner who will be revealed in November. So this is a super exciting contest for you guys and anybody that is interested in this whole low carb movement and ketogenic movement. I mean, Jimmy is like, the heavyweight of this movement. I mean, he was, you know, championing this cause before really hardly anybody else was talking about this. And he is just... He he is just an amazing person, amazing wealth of knowledge with all of this subject matter and has some really amazing friends, as you could tell by many of the speakers that I read on there um, that I'm sure you guys have heard of and listened to. And they are just so smart and such amazing um, health professionals that you are just going to be blown away and so blessed to listen to on this So, guys, get in, uh, get, if you are interested in doing this, the cruise is from May 20th through May 27th. It leaves out of Galveston, Texas. And again, it's on the Liberty of the Seas. And you can get more information about the cruise, and you can contact Debbie, who is the travel agent that is setting this up. But you can get more information if you're interested in booking your room. It's lowcarbcruiseinfo.com. So you can go there and get more information. But uh, like I said, you know, hey, take a stab at this contest. If this is something that you would want to do, and you just really think, man, I just can't afford to do this, but this would be great, this will be a huge impact. Em- impact in your health and wellness. I have no doubt because the impact that these people will have on you just during this seven days that you get to spend just absorbing all the knowledge from these people um, is going to be, it's just priceless. So definitely try to get in there, get that, um, get your email sent to Jimmy and get entered into that contest. Again, his email is livin, that's L-I-V-I-N low carb man at charter, charte net. And again, he's taking those entries through October 31st, um, cruise giveaway in the subject line and make sure you let him know why you need why you need and deserve to win this contest. Make sure to email him your full name and telephone number. All right, so that's all I have to say about that. Oh, and I would get to meet you, (laughs) which is super exciting, that'd be great. I would love to meet some people that listen to this podcast, so that would be really awesome. Okay, so let's get into the episode since I've got the announcements out of the way. In today's episode, I'm gonna talk to you guys about a few different things. First of all, I'm gonna touch on the 10 keto mistakes that I see made when starting keto. So I'm just going to run down kind of the top 10 that I could think of that either uh, I have seen clients do, or I kind of see through forums and and things like that, or that I even have done myself <laughs> and realized through trial and error that um, just really don't work so well or tend to trip people up. So I'm going to give you that that top ten list. I think that'll be helpful. And then I also want to touch on my top five essential oils. Now I know some of you may not have any interest in essential oils. You may think I'm just going to turn off the podcast or flip through that section because I don't really want to. Hear it. But let me just tell you, if, if you can just give it, I'm, it's going to be fast. There's not, it's not going to be a great deal of the podcast, but essential oils, you know, I, we got into them a couple of years ago. And prior to that, they just seemed so, um, I don't know, kind of foo-foo to me and then I didn't really understand them and so I was intimidated and I didn't really know what to do with them and I just thought, man, I just don't even know if I even want to get into this. It's just one more thing to figure out. But there are so many benefits to essential oils and as a family in general, we try really hard to stay off of uh, medications, whether that be over-the-counter or prescriptions or anything. And there are so many essential oils that can assist you in that if that is also something that you desire to do. There, they just they can um, kind of the the. Uh, uh, the essential things that you need, essential oils, the essential things that you need to be able to overcome some of the things that you might would take a medication for. So uh, it hopefully it'll be helpful to you guys. I'm going to give you my top five. I'm going to keep it pretty, pretty basic and, and easy to understand. My top five, why we like to use them, how we use them. And like I said, it'll be pretty quick. And hopefully if you have had interest in them or you've thought about them, that'll be like a quick introduction for you. And then you can go on and find out more information, I'll give you a couple of websites in that section that I think are really great places to get resources, uh, unbiased resources on essential oils because there's so much out there, especially since there are some uh, multi-level marketing companies that do the essential oils. Not that those are bad essential oils. I think they're actually really great ones, but it can be hard sometimes to feel like you're getting unbiased opinions. And then I am gonna wrap up with a little kind of tip about microgreens. So um, it's kind of all the rage right now. There's lots of people talking about microgreens. You may hear of it, but you maybe don't know what they are. I have posted on my Instagram and some food shots over the last couple of weeks, how I use microgreens and I just love them. They are uh, one of my new obsessions. So, so I just thought I would share that with you guys and share why they're such a big deal so that you can enjoy, enjoy those if you'd like to. Okay, so let's get started with the top, my top 10 keto mistakes that I see made when starting keto. Okay, so number one, eating too much protein. Okay, we hear that all the time, right? Like you probably have heard over and over and over again, gluconeogenesis, gluconeogenesis. Like you're like, okay, I've heard that like a million times. I get it. So um, just in case you haven't heard it or you're like, oh, I kind of forget what's that mean again. So that is when you eat too much protein, it turns to glucose in our bodies. So we can only use so much protein and protein cannot be stored. So if you can't use it and then we can't store it, our body has to turn it into glucose and then it shuttles it around that way. So either it gets turned into glucose and it gets stored as glycogen in our muscle stores or our liver. We've talked about that in previous episodes. You can go back and listen to those where I explain in detail, like how much glycogen we can store and you know how that works and all those types of things. Um, and the reason our body even... Well, I, I guess I can't really say that. I can't say the reason it has the ability, but one of the, the big benefits of our body having that ability, the the liver having the ability to convert protein into glucose, is if you really do not bring in enough glucose, it will convert that um, in order to feed your brain. Cause you've heard, you know, you need, your brain needs glucose. Well, your brain, your brain's preferred fuel is actually fat, but it is true that it does need a certain amount of glucose. So, um, that is a very minimal amount of glucose, but that it's such a minimal amount that any extra protein that you have or any protein that you have, if you don't have enough, uh, glucose already, your body, your liver will then convert into glucose and use that. But it also uses that same ability when we've taken in too much protein. So that can be really big because you maybe don't realize that you're having too much. And then you think, you know, you're doing keto and you're like, man, I'm doing everything right. My carbs are super low and I'm eating plenty of fat and I, I you know, I'm not cheating and I'm doing great. And But why am I gaining weight or why am I not losing weight or what is going on? and often very very often i see people posting their macros in forums or i'll talk to clients and go over food journals with them and we look at it look at those layouts and i immediately it jumps out at me that there is no way that your body is using that much protein um so we have to watch that. So that that is a number one. I think that's, I see that more than probably anything is just too high on the protein. And usually from women, I see it very often with women, and realizing that they are just getting too much protein. So how much is enough? Well, I've gone over this in detail as well, but let's just say in general for a woman, you probably want about 20 to 25 grams of protein per meal. That's assuming you have three meals a day. So um, I would say somewhere around just in general, just your average woman, not super athletic, not super, you know, you're not hitting the gym and, and lifting weights hard all the time and doing those types of things just your average, typical, normal um, woman, I would say probably need about 60, 65 grams of protein a day. Now that can certainly vary from woman to woman and depending on other things, but that's a general guideline. So, uh, So that's number one. Number two, eating too much dairy or any dairy. So okay, let's refer back to number one. Okay, so number one was eating too much protein. So there's a lot of protein in dairy. So let's just talk about a couple of them. So Swiss cheese, a slice of Swiss cheese is seven grams of protein. The Wisp crackers, which oh my gosh, I love so much. Not crackers. That's not the right word for them. But the cheese crisps. Um, those are about if you t- if you eat about 15 chips, 15 of those little uh, cheese chips, that's about nine grams of protein. A cup of milk, if you drink milk, that's about eight grams of protein. If you put cream in your coffee or milk in your coffee, now depending on how much you're using, I mean, you could be at four, five, six, eight grams of protein in your, uh, just in your coffee every day that you're drinking. So if you start kind of adding that up and thinking about that and how quickly that actually adds up, it's, it adds up pretty quickly, especially if you're adding that on top of meals that you're eating, the protein, like meat sources. Like if you're having three ounces of salmon with breakfast, and then you have, um, you know, three ounces of leftover pork with, with, uh, lunch. And then maybe you have, uh, four five, six ounces of ribeye steak with dinner. Well, I can promise you, if you're also having some cheese and cheese crisps and, and some milk in your coffee, you're blowing your protein out of the water. So, Um, so that, so that's one reason that dairy can kind of cause some issues when you're first going keto and you just need to keep in mind that, you know, going keto, oftentimes we're thinking that like it's eat all of the dairy all of the time and, and all of the fat all of the time. And it's really not that it seems to be portrayed like that sometimes, but it's, really not that. It's still, you still have to be cognizant of what you're eating and still think about it. And I know sometimes in the beginning, it can be really easy to get carried away and just, just go crazy on those things. Cause you think, Oh man, you know, I have to, I have to lay off the bread. I can't have the bread and chips and the cookies and the cakes, but I am just going to, tear me up some, some cheese and, and cheese crisps and heavy whipping cream and all this stuff, which is good. Don't get me wrong, but just keeping that in moderation. And we also have to think about that with dairy, there are lots of, can be lots of issues with inflammation. We talked about this in the last episode, episode number 13, dairy can cause a lot of inflammation. So that can also magnify, that can cause other issues and magnify things that can stall your weight loss and cause problems. Because if you have inflammation in your body, you've got stress in your body and it is very difficult to lose weight when you've got a lot of stress and inflammation, whether that's physical stress or mental stress or emotional stress, it all plays together. So that can also be difficult. So finding out, you know, knowing if you have a dairy sensitivity or a a milk allergy of any type and kind of figuring that out. Okay, number three, baking too many or any keto desserts. So for some people, this can be done and there are no issues, but more often than not, these keto swaps can still trigger insulin or can stoke cravings. So I see it all the time where um you know you just you're moving into this lifestyle and it just seems like there are just so many of these keto swapless recipes and it seems like everybody is an indul- is indulging in these things and you know i can tell you that not everybody does indulge in them and even when they do it's not all the time but it can seem like that especially if you you know have an instagram feed that's made up of a bunch of ketogenic, uh, dieters or ketogenic, uh, cookbook writers and stuff like this. They're all amazing and they have these amazing recipes, but you know, their job is they're, they're going to post a lot of those types of things on social media. So if your Instagram feed is you're just scrolling through dessert recipe after dessert recipe, it can be really overwhelming and you can, you know, definitely want to start eating all that stuff. And it can feel like, oh man, everybody just eats all this. But you know, really part of the beauty of ketosis is that you really do change your taste buds and you really do stop the cravings for breads and sweets, etc. So when you continue to eat those, but you just kind of switch over doing the sugar-free or the low carb versions, I feel like a lot of times it just really can defeat the main purpose of this way of eating and this lifestyle. So You know, I know a lot of people come at this for weight loss, that can be a a real major driver to wanna get healthier and be healthier, and that's fine. If that's what gets you in the door, I think there's nothing wrong with that. And let's face it, I mean, you feel better when you are at an ideal weight, and that's fine. But I think what often happens is we can get wrapped up in as long as we're losing weight, and these things are sugar-free and low carb, and they fit within my quote unquote diet, then I'm going to, I'm going to indulge in these. But I think if we can kind of look at it a little bit higher view, just a little bit broader view, and remember that we got into this lifestyle because we wanted the health and, and this is a lifestyle. Like we want this to be sustainable and attainable for life. So doing it, the cor- correct quote unquote way. And, you know, really trying to kind of get ourselves uh, out of the the habits and the crutches of the sugary sweet foods and the breads and all of those things, I think is maybe the better way to go, especially in the beginning, if you can just kind of buckle down, so to speak, and l- get those cravings and and those Uh, habits out of your lifestyle and out of your everyday living, then it becomes much easier in the future. And I'm not saying you can never enjoy those things. I think it's fine um, just waiting maybe until you've kind of really changed the way you think and feel about food and sweets and you know, the cravings, just letting those cravings go away before you start indulging those. Um, Number four kind of goes along with that. It's buying and using a lot of keto products. So let's think of like gummy bears, cupcakes, spreads, cookies, et cetera. So I think there's a place for those things. And I really do love several of the keto com- companies that are out there. I really do. But I've seen way too often with many of my clients that eating those things are causing the same things we just talked about in number three it's causing the cravings, it's causing still um, insulin spikes, you know, blood sugar spikes. So I would truly rather see clients go like more of a strict keto for two to three months. And then if you really want a dessert, go ahead and even have the real thing. Like really, like I, I am, you know, I feel like if you go out with friends and I've said this before, you want to have the piece of cake, you want to, you know, have a drink, whatever it is that you want to do do that. I would say don't do that all the time. But once you've become keto adapted and you want to indulge in something like that, fine, do that. I think you're going to notice how you feel. I know you're going to notice how you feel. And you've probably, you're just going to realize how good you've been feeling since becoming keto adapted and how, when you kind of go back and indulge in some of those things that maybe you used to indulge in all the time, you kind of realize that you really don't feel the best and it isn't really doing anything for you and you, it may just not be worth it anymore. So I also strongly suggest you don't keep that stuff at home. So if you're going to make, that if you make something, make sure it's something that you are going to eat that day. Like maybe you're going to serve it to your family for a special get together or something like that. And then it's going to be gone. You know, don't keep stuff around. And uh, the great news is that once you really are keto adapted, you're going to get back into ketosis pretty quickly after you come out of it. So your body the the switch, like you switch your body over to making that your preferred fuel source once you're keto adapted. And that's as it was intended to be. And so eating enough carbs to pull you out of ketosis every now and then, it really isn't that big of a deal as long as you can handle it. You know, you have to figure that out for yourself, but you can't, you'll go back in, you know, you'll you're if you're keto adapted, you're gonna slip back into ketosis pretty quickly most of the time. Now, there are people that are just, you know, have really big metabolic issues and are just really insulin resistant, and that's going to be a little bit harder thing for them. And that type of situation, I would just recommend you abstain, uh, eat for much longer for sure from indulging in those types of things. And then maybe when you do want to indulge in a dessert, then maybe you do stick to just kind of the keto, uh, swaps basically. But you know, it's. I think it's really important for us to understand that this is our body's natural way. It's to be in ketosis. So breast milk is actually the perfect keto food. We're born perfectly keto adapted. So it's only when we begin binging on these excess carbs and can, that we're changing the enzymatic process in our digestion. So that makes keto no longer our normal state. I've heard many people argue that this can't be a fact because our bodies even once we are keto adapted, we'll burn carbs first. And that proves that that's what our body's preferred, but they don't understand, like they just don't understand the science behind the metabolic processes and why our bodies are doing that. So our body is always going to burn what it deems most harmful first. Do you get that? Like most harmful. So you can't, it has to burn the carbs first because it can't, it can't let those that Though the carbohydrates the 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 blood sugar raising foods that we're eating it can't just let that keep our blood sugar you know up elevated and cause the damage or keep having to pump out the insulin. it's gonna burn through that first and get that out of there, do what it has to do with it, store it as glycogen, stored as triglycerides and our you know, make more fat, whatever it's got to do, it's going to get rid of that first. It's the same reason that our livers take care of alcohol before they'll take care of the food we're eating. I know many people have heard that it's the same thing with carbs. So your body is going to take care of what you're putting in it in the order of what's most poisonous to it first. So it's going to take care of those things. So that, so using the, the, fat first is never going to happen. That's going to be the last thing that your body is going to use. So it's not that it prefers the carbohydrates. It's just what it's going to burn first every time. So anyway, that is number four. Number five is not paying attention to electrolytes. So we have three, there are three main electrolytes that you're going to need to replenish and that's sodium, potassium, and magnesium. Potassium is the electrolyte which is most commonly deficient in diets. And it can be difficult to consume enough potassium, especially um, on a ketogenic diet because there's not a lot of foods that are rich in potassium that fit into that diet. So most people, if you would ask them what a high Potassium food is, they would say automatically bananas. Well, you're not going to be eating bananas on a low-carb diet or a ketogenic diet. So oftentimes people don't know what to swap that out with or what they should be eating if they should, if they can't have diets. And then you need to know that when you enter the, you know, the beginning phases of a ketogenic diet. So if you're looking at 50 grams or less of total carbs or like 20 to 30 grams of net carbs, that's kind of the the kind of going, uh, talk out there about what a truly ketogenic diet is, then most people are going to experience the keto flu. So this often will have people, you know, run and scared and say, Oh, this whole low carb thing is not right for me. And, and I, you know, it's, I, my body's starving and it's trying to tell me, but really you're just depleting electrolytes. So when you are not, so glucose molecules are encased in, um, in water. So with water is electrolytes. So when you lose all of that water, when you lose um, all of that, it's, it's why when you go ketogenic, most people lose the look of bloat. And I've talked about this before as well. It's because carbohydrates, glucose, makes you retain water. So when you lose all of that water, just the same way if you sweated all of it out, you're gonna lose electrolytes. So you have to replenish those. So um, let's talk about some potassium-rich foods for you that um, you could do if you were trying to be ketogenic and get started on that. Avocados, number one that I recommend. And that is a thousand milligrams per per average piece of avocado. So um, a much higher amount of potassium than bananas. Um, Nuts, you've got... um, About one ounce serving of nuts is 100 to 300 milligrams of potassium. Just depends on the type of nuts. Dark leafy greens. So it's about 160 milligrams of um, per cup of raw leafy greens. If you cook them, it's like quadruples or even more than that. Um, salmon, about 800 milligrams per average filet of salmon, mushrooms, hundred to 200 milligrams per cup of mushrooms. So those are great potassium rich foods, all very keto friendly. And then magnesium is also very commonly deficient and it's commonly deficient in everybody, even if you're not on a low carb diet. So magnesium is super important anyway. And we've talked about that on this podcast about supplementation of magnesium, which I really feel like pretty much everybody needs to do. Um, however, if you're, whether you're supplementing or not a big or some foods that you can get some, uh, magnesium from are nuts, again, about 75 milligrams per one ounce of like almonds, uh, dark chocolate. There you go. There's your, there's your green light to eat some dark chocolate. So dark chocolate is about 80 milligrams per, um, Per about a tablespoon, so let's say that's probably like one to two squares of dark chocolate on your kind of typical average dark chocolate bar. Artichokes are 75 milligrams per average piece. Fish, about 60 milligrams. Spinach, cooked spinach is about 75 milligrams per cup. Um, So those are all really good lists of foods that are rich in magnesium. So when you are deficient in magnesium, you are going to experience the dreaded muscle cramping, if you guys have heard about this when you're sleeping at night, or maybe it's happened to you and you wake up and you're just in massive pain, I can't tell you how, oh my gosh, if you have not experienced this, you don't want to experience it. I did go through it. It was miserable. And you just wake up, I would get up, I would walk, I would rub my legs, my calves, my hamstrings, just do everything I could to try and make the cramping stop. And it just would not stop. So that is very, very important that you keep supplemented with magnesium. And your best source of sodium is do like a good Himalayan, like a pink Himalayan sea salt, something like that. Just make sure you're adding that to your vegetables and your meats. Um, you can even put a little bit on your tongue and just, just let that dissolve. You can put a little bit in water Um, I know some people will do the practice of getting up in the morning and having, just drinking a little bit of salt water. So that is completely up to you. However you want to do that. Sodium is not nearly as difficult to get in your diet as potassium and magnesium are. So, okay. Number six, eating too much fat after you are keto adapted. So in the beginning, I always tell clients to eat more fat than they think they should. Because most people that I talk to, most people that I see talking on forums and that stuff, and myself included, really are fat phobic. I mean, we have just had this low fat dogma drilled into our brains for 40, 50 years. So it's not something that overnight we can just say, okay, this makes sense to me. I am going to start, start eating this way. I'm not going to fear fat anymore. And just overnight, we're going to wake up and go, okay, I'm ready to go. No more fear of fat. It's not going to happen. We are still going to fear it to some extent. So, uh, that is something I really try to drill into clients in the beginning is just eat way more fat than you think you need. You're going to think that you've eaten too much and that's fine. Eat more. However, I, you know, I think that really helps your body get into ketosis and it helps you to stave off the cravings for the carbs and sugar. Because if somebody's telling you have all the bacon you want and the butter you want, and just put that on every vegetable and meat and everything you eat, you're not really thinking about carbs and sugar, because number one, you're completely satiated. And number two, I mean, who doesn't love the taste of those things? I mean, they just make everything taste better. And if you're coming from a low fat, low flavor, you know, you're not putting butter on things, you are trying, you know, you're trying to avoid fat. So you're not even putting like, you know, rancid, terrible vegetable oil fats on things because you're still trying to reduce your fat intake. So, so you, you're literally coming from like the dry salad with chicken breast and salt and pepper diet or something like that. You know, hearing that you can have butter and bacon and all these wonderful full fat foods is exciting. So I want people to get on board with that and to enjoy that and embrace that and change their mindset, change the way they're thinking. But what happens is once you are keto adapted, you should really naturally start reining in your fat intake because like I said, it's just so satiating and you kind of start to realize that, you know, you're getting enough to eat, you're fine. But if you ignore those feelings of fullness and you keep pounding the fat, you will stop losing weight or you'll even gain it. So once you're keto adapted, you should kind of start falling into an intuitive kind of eating pattern because you've eliminated that hormonal roller coaster of eating the high carb, low fat. So once you kind of get off that roller coaster, you should be able to kind of start being more intuitive and start trying to to learn to be more intuitive about what you're eating. Is you're you're really not going to have you're not going to be driven by the cravings and the habits around eating as much anymore, you're going to be more driven by true hunger and truly knowing what it feels like to, to really need some sustenance, to really need some food. You know, what? Do you, what's your body telling you? Does it really need to eat right now or are you just bored and looking for something to do? Or every time you sit down and watch Dancing with the Stars, it's your habit to grab a Coke and popcorn guilty as charged. (laughs) So so once you get past that, trust me, I've so been there. Once you get past that habit, and you start really listening intuitively. Most of the time, if I'm sitting and eating and watching a TV show, you know, I want a cup of bone broth because I know that that is healing for my gut. And, you know, maybe I do like to sit and sip on something while I'm watching a TV show, but I've changed the habit around that. Or maybe it's a nice cup of green tea or chamomile tea if it's later in the evening, something like that. So, Okay. Number seven, not getting or sorry, not getting gut or digestive orders corrected prior to embarking on a ketogenic lifestyle. So this is a big one, guys. Very, very often people haven't done any blood work or testing of any other type to find out if you have parasites or fungus or some bacteria overgrowth or anything like that that can make going to any new way of eating really, but ketogenic way of eating as well, um, can, can have complications if you've got those things going on. And then often you will, anytime you switch to a new way of eating, it's going to magnify those things. So you're, because you were eating a certain way and feeling a certain way all of the time before. And then when you switch to a new way of eating, it is going to very much, very potentially magnify these issues that you didn't even realize before because you were just kind of living in this fog and it's just it's just how you were day in and day out so it was your normal it's your norm so when you change that up you may start to notice things that you didn't notice before so in general the keto way of eating is really great for most microbiome imbalances but let's look at like a case of having hypokaliteria so low stomach acid So along with this almost always comes the inability to properly digest your foods. So it's kind of a chicken before the egg type of situation, in my opinion. Like, did you lack the enzymes that cause the lack of stomach acid or vice versa? You know, have your digestive signals become so weak and poor due to the stress or poor nutrition You know, like you just have a a nutrient deficient diet or is your body just completely out of practice when it comes to properly digesting more complex foods, which fats and proteins are. So there's so many things that can kind of set this off when you start eating ketogenic that can really magnify, especially when you're having digestive issues like the inability to digest proteins and fats, which is huge. So in our current food recommendations, we're eating a high-carb, a low-fat diet if you're following the standard American diet, and it can certainly cause uh, digestion to come offline just for lots of little reasons. So there's hormonal reasons, enzymatic reasons, um, detoxification pathway you know, issues and reasons there. So anyway, I could go on and on about these, but... Generally, you know, you're going to want to look at food sensitivities or allergies. If you can go and get some proper testing for that, that would be great. If you can meet with a functional medicine doctor that can really take an in-depth look at your digestion, just see, like, do you have the proper enzymes to digest protein properly? Are you, are you absorbing your nutrients, you know, and your macronutrients? Are you absorbing the, the, um, different uh, vitamins and minerals and you know can you handle the fat and the protein does your body know what to do with it uh, do you have proper levels of acid that you're able to digest this food and move it through your digestive tract properly are you constipated do you have diarrhea are you do you have a lot of gas you know are you dealing with those things those are signs that that is not necessarily an issue with it's definitely not an issue with the ketogenic way of eating it's an issue with it for you because potentially you don't have these right things in place and once you can get those right then you're going to be able to eat a good whole foods nutrient dense well-balanced meal which i believe a ketogenic diet is and can definitely can be when done properly. So, you know, I do have a local doctor who's trained in functional medicine that she works with my clients. She'll draw, you know, their blood, stool, urine panels, everything that she needs to do so that we can get a complete picture of what's going on. So if you, you know, I would just highly recommend you find that in your area, but if you don't have one, reach out to me and I will hook you up with, um, my gal. She is amazing and she does see clients remotely as I do. So she can do everything without you actually being here and in front of her. So that's, um, can be a huge piece of the puzzle for you if you're having some issues in your ketogenic lifestyle. Um, number eight, cheat days or weekends off. So I see so many people talking about this. Um, So many people, I think, just start off, they just want to go keto, but they're thinking it's just going to be really incredibly difficult to stick with. Maybe they've heard this is just not a sustainable way to eat. You're not going to be able to stick with it. Adherence to the diet is super difficult, which all of which I completely disagree with. But um, so a lot of times people will set up in their mind like I'm going to do cheat days or I'm going to have a weekends off type mentality. So it's, it's just, I think a way for them to get over that they're going to go low carb, like giving up the bread, the pasta, the cookies, the cakes, they just think it's going to be impossible. And if they allow themselves to have it, then they're going to be better able to adhere to the diet. But, you know, honestly, it's like I talked about before, if you can just get through the adaptation period and, and just really set your mind to it. And there's, you know, when I'm coaching people, there's all kinds of things that I work with people with that you can do to help you get through that and to kind of help make that transition a little bit easier. But if you can really just go through that, you're gonna break through those plateaus. You're gonna break through those habits and those cravings. And it's really not going to be bad. Like you're gonna get to the other side and you're gonna feel amazing and you're just gonna be like, I I know I, I say this and I, I think it sounds so trite, but it's so true. I promise that if you can get to the other side of this and you can, that you are going to be like, I can't even believe that I used to crave all that stuff. Like I just don't even want it anymore. And I think until you've been there for yourself, nobody can tell you that and convince you, but it will happen. You will see that happen. So You know, basically, if you just, if you talk to yourself about the diet positively and about this way of eating positively, I think that it's going to make it a lot easier for you. So I feel like setting yourself up with these cheat days and weekends off is just setting yourself up in the beginning to fail. And to be honest, I feel like the word diet really typically brings up such negative connotations with this. So I feel like you kind of get the sense of like, if I can just do this long enough, uh, let's see, to like get in the fill in the blank weight amount, or if I can just do this long enough to get my blood markers to be fill in the blank, or if I can just do this long enough to get rid of fill in the blank with a health condition, or maybe a a poor diet side effect, you know, whatever, then I will go back to quote unquote normal eating, so I think if you're setting it up like that, and you feel like a it's a diet, and this is like a temporary thing, you know, when I use the word diet, I mean literally your diet, like, like what foods do you eat? Not not like the South Beach Diet or the Atkins Diet or the Zone Diet or the Blood Type Diet, or I, I don't mean like somebody's gimmicky thing that they came up with to say, here's the way you should be eating. And, you know, follow this meal plan. I I mean, like diet is in just your overall, what are you taking in to feed your body? But I think it just does have such these negative connotations. So I mean, that's really why I named the podcast Keto Lifestyle, because I really do feel like it's a lifestyle. You have to commit to it and just decide this is what I want. This is how I want to feel. This is how I want my health to be. So I think that makes a big difference. So whether or not you choose to go full keto, I think if you're just going to choose whole, real foods over processed, packaged ones, that's great. So don't, you know, just go into it. Then you're not going to beat yourself up with negative talk if you make the choice to eat something that you may well know it's not the healthiest choice for you. But if you eat it, I mean, if you're going to do it, just do it, just eat it, enjoy it, then notice how you feel, and you'll be better to able to understand in the future, like maybe why you shouldn't eat that or why you may make the decision not to do that because you realize it really didn't serve you. So I just think it's such a big component of becoming an intuitive eater. Eater. Like being an intuitive eater can bring you such freedom in your dietary choices and your just your overall health and well-being. You have to learn what works for you and commit to doing what you know will serve you best and bring you your best life and your best health. Like you just really, we need to be focusing so much more on that than all the rules and this diet and that diet and, and just trying to, you know, if you, if you're like, look, I want to be ketogenic. I feel like this is what's going to serve me best. I, I'm, I'm bought in, i buy the, the disease prevention part of it. I buy the health benefit parts of it. I buy all of this. I want to be in. Then just commit to getting keto adapted. Just commit to doing what it takes. And, and don't let yourself and your doubts and your self-fears talk you out of it by saying, by building in these like safety nets, like cheat days and weekends off and stuff like that. Um, just don't, don't self-sabotage. That can be really a, a big thing to overcome in the beginning. Okay. Number nine, not eating enough vegetables. Man, I see this all the time and I have these conversations a lot. So because of the higher carb count of veggies, I, often have people, either I see it in the forums again, or just clients that are wanting to be in ketosis and limit their vegetables, because they know that if they don't limit their vegetables, they're going to blow through like the 20 grams that they decide they're going to allow themselves to have every day of like carbs. So they're convinced that if they eat the vegetables, they're going to pull themselves out of ketosis, and this is going to be terrible. So in general, I stay under 20 grams of carbs a day, but I don't count vegetables in those carbs, um, or at least not total carbs of vegetables. And to be honest, I don't count anything anymore. Anyway, I go on intuitively. How do I feel? You know, how does my body feel to me? Do I feel bloated? Do I feel like I ate too much? Am I full that I'm going to stop eating? You know, do I, do I really need to eat dinner tonight? Maybe I'm not hungry. Do I need to eat breakfast in the morning? Eh, Maybe I don't want it. Do I need lunch? Maybe not. Maybe, you know, just intuitively eating instead of trying to fall within all these parameters. So I think that again we it really brings us to the question of total carbs versus net carbs, so i think I think really that when it comes to all of this, if it's non starchy vegetables, like I'm not talking about tubers and carrots and potatoes and things like that, but I'm talking about the non starchy vegetables the the broccoli the cauliflower the the kale the spinach, the brussels sprouts. Um, asparagus, you know, all of these vegetables that, I mean, I eat them all day long, all the time. I just don't even think you need to count them. I I don't think you need to worry about it. I just don't think that eating a ton of veggies is in any way going to be detrimental to this lifestyle. I really think we need to be focused on eating a well-balanced spectrum of whole foods. And that includes animal products and plant products, specifically vegetables. So I think it's just much more important to focus on the quality of the vegetables. So get organic and in season vegetables, if at all possible. So that way you're definitely gonna get the most nutrient dense plate possible. And I also think that vegetables are just a really great way to make sure you're getting lots of healthy fats because you can add all kinds of awesome fats to vegetables that just make them taste amazing. So, you know, maybe you make a big full bowl of salad greens and then you top that with like a three-ounce portion of grass-fed ribeye or a three-ounce portion of wild sockeye salmon. And maybe you've cooked those in grass-fed ghee or butter. And then maybe you even top it with a tablespoon or two of organic olive oil or avocado oil. Oh my goodness, my mouth's watering thinking about it. So, you know, like last night I made for um, our... Really. It's not even a side. I think that we grow up thinking, and I just about said that I made a side of vegetables, but honestly, my, the majority of my plate was vegetables, but I think we grow up thinking as vegetables is like this little, almost like a condiment that we add to our plates just so we can feel like we did something good. Um, and then we, we kind of just kind of stay in that pattern. But like last night I made this big skillet of broccoli sauteed in avocado oil, salt and pepper. It is one of my favorite ways. And I mean, I'm telling you, it's a lot of avocado oil. I threw that on a plate. I had made a roast in the Instapot. I had a very small slither of that roast, probably maybe a one to two ounce portion of that. And then we had, um, oh, what? Oh, last night I actually had some, um, some purple sweet potato. We did have a little bit of a, Um, I don't know, some people call it a carb up or a carb backloading and all this kind of stuff. But every now and then I will throw in a little bit extra, a little bit more carbs than I would typically eat. So I had a little bit of sweet potatoes that we had roasted in, um, it with avocado oil on a pan in the oven with just salt and pepper. So that was just so good. But the majority of what I ate was broccoli. (laughs) Like that was the biggest part of my meal. And it was just so yummy. But often I will make vegetables sautéed in bacon fat because my, that's the way my husband loves it. So we do that a lot. So you know, change it up. Get you get you know, just get lots of vegetables in there. Lots of nutrient, you know, lots of nutrients in the vegetables. They're just super good for you. Super important. I I really think we don't need to worry about the carbs and the vegetables. We just need to be eating the vegetables and enjoying them. Okay, so we are at. Number nine, okay, so um, number 10, the final one here that I would say are kind of common, my top uh, mistakes that I see people making in the beginning or trying to get on a, a ketogenic lifestyle. Number 10 is listening to all the diet experts, quote unquote, and people who will tell you exactly what you are doing right or wrong through public forums on the internet. Okay. So (laughs) I see so much bad advice and contradictory advice out there. Like I feel bad for people if they post something and, you know, I don't spend a lot of time in these forums. I just don't have time to do it. But every now and then I'll just take a few minutes and kind of, you know, jump into one or two and on Facebook or something and just see what some people are talking about And I'll read through some of the comments and I just genuinely feel bad for the person that was asking for some advice and they have got to leave that forum way more confused than when they came in. So I would just say that basically, I mean... I don't think that anybody is ill-intentioned. I mean, I think people are well-meaning, you know, they're trying to advise others based on what they're doing or what works for them or what they've heard. But we just have to understand that we are all individuals. So there is so much more that goes into our health and wellness and, and into what nutrition is going to work for us than kind of what we see on the surface or this like, well, this is what, you know, I, I, I heard. And so I think this is what so-and-so was doing. You need, you need to do this and it's going to fix all your, your woes. I just think that it's just, there's so many other factors, so many lifestyle factors that you just, you don't know. And so, um, and really even if you did know all of them, you know, it's gonna, it takes time. It's not, and, and things that can be these teeny tiny little, uh, changes to something that can make a big impact. So, I really think that it's imperative that you seek out counsel or coaching from someone in the nutritional field that has some type of training or experience when it comes to metabolic function and overall health and wellness. So, and you know, if you, so that would be someone like myself, who's a coach. There are tons of good coaches out there. You know, I would definitely seek out a holistic nutritionist or a holistic um, nutritional coach or someone that is has gone through like the uh, nutritional therapeutic training, like that uh, what I am going through with the NTA, that is either a nutritional um, therapeutic consultant or a uh, practitioner, somebody that really has some some good, you know, schooling behind them that they have really learned some really important parts of this. I definitely, you know, I'm sure there are some good dietitians out there, but just knowing that they have to follow USDA recommendations and with my belief that that is what has gotten us into the mess that we are in with health and wellness now, um, I don't think that that would be the best choice in general, but maybe you could meet with one and interview them and find out if they follow the USDA guidelines. And if they do, then I would highly recommend seeking out someone else. Um, but I also think if maybe you're not ready for that step or you feel like you can't afford that or, or you, you know, don't want to do that, you can read blogs. There's books you can read, listening to podcasts, you can get good information. Um, there's a lot of bad information out there that way as well. But if you kind of start digging into some of these books and, and and things like that, that are in the sphere of, of way of eating and lifestyle that you want to tackle. If that's ketogenic, then, then kind of figuring out, you'll quickly kind of see how everybody is connected that generally, uh, feels the same way and has the same basic understanding about a way of eating or a particular lifestyle, whether that's paleo or, or ketogenic, or, you know, just low carb, whatever it is that you're going after. And you can kind of pretty quickly start figuring out which are the ones that you should be listening to and kind of following. So I think that, just taking advice from strangers on the forums, it's just really not a good idea. And it can actually really have detrimental effects to your long-term health. And it really can just completely thwart the results that you're trying to accomplish, especially in the beginning. Like when you're trying to learn all of this stuff and you just have all this bad information coming in, it can be really hard to kind of wade through all of that so i do have a few recommendations for great books that i think will teach you a ton in the way of diet and nutritional facts and these are based on science so this is not like you know i just think that this sounds like a good idea so i'm going to write a book about it the the six books i'm going to tell you about right here are there are lots of great health and wellness and nutrition books out there that that i would recommend to people but these six specifically are really science based and you are going to learn probably way more than you even wanted to know about science and and metabolic function and, and just how all of this stuff works together, how nutrition works together in our, for, for our health or, or not. And so these are really great places to start. If you want to do this research on your own and try to educate yourself. Um, the first one is the big fat surprise by Nina Teicholz. Um, She is amazing. If you've never heard her speak, go to YouTube and you can look up Nina Teichels and you will find all kinds of amazing speeches that she's given. She's a really great speaker. She really knows her stuff. Um, she did 10 years of research before she put this book out and it shows, I mean, she has just really done all the ins and outs, the ups and downs. Um, so that is Nina and the last name is spelled T E I C H O L Z. And again, I will link to all this stuff in the show notes. Number two is nourishing traditions by Sally Fallon. So this is a book that we are actually, um, going through in my nutritional, um, Uh, training that my NTA training. So we are actually going through this right now. And, um, well, we've been going through it throughout the class, but it is a really, um, great book, lots of really good information in there. Um, and not specifically ketogenic, um, really. So it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good place for you to, to start kind of learning some of that death by food pyramid, Denise Manger. I believe Denise Minger is, um, actually paleo as far as her way of eating and her, um, uh, lifestyle that she kind of follows. And so, and that, that's fine. She's, but she has really got a wealth of knowledge in this book. And so that is, I would highly recommend reading that. I think you will learn a ton Um, let's see the fourth one I would recommend is cholesterol. Actually, this is a double cholesterol clarity and keto clarity by Jimmy Moore, both excellent books, super, super good. Lots of great information in there. Uh, you will learn so much that, and really the cholesterol clarity, well, both of them actually are really good at helping you to kind of overcome the fear, the fat fear that I know a lot of us have. Um, number five, deep nutrition by Catherine Shanahan. This book blew my mind when I read it. As a matter of fact, I am going to go back and I'm going to re I'm going to actually listen to it on audio, um, book and go back through it that way. It is very deep and very good. And she just really gets into the nitty gritty on so many things and, and takes things in so many directions I'd never thought of before. And I just had so much fun reading that book. And then, um, last but not least, number six, good calories, bad calories by Gary Taubes. So that is going to teach you so much (laughs) that all the things you never thought you needed to know (laughs) about, um, about calories and uh, you know, our body's metabolic function and just kind of how we got into the mess that we're in. So those are my recommendations. Those are great ones to read. Okay. So let me quickly move on to the, let me find my list here. Let me move on to the essential oils. So I can give you my top five list of essential oils very quickly. So I know I keep telling you, I wasn't going to keep you too long and Oh, best laid plans. Okay, so my top five essential oils. I told you this isn't gonna be long and it's not. I'm gonna run down this real quick for you. So number one, peppermint. Okay, this is such a great oil. There are so many things that we just, we use this for so much, especially in the fall and winter months here. So um, this is a great essential oil to lift your mood. And it has been proven to increase mental clarity and can even help get rid of headaches. So this is a really good one for that. We love to diffuse it in the kids' bedrooms at night if they're a little bit congested or like have a stuffy nose. So I typically will mix this with a couple of drops of fractionated coconut oil, and then I rub it on the kid's chest, kind of like a vapor rub. So I'll rub it on their chest and then kind of up along the backs of their ears, like kind of up their neck and along the backs of their ears. And then to diffuse it, or... Actually, even not just diffusing it, I'll do it with um, coconut oil as well as I'll mix a couple of drops of eucalyptus essential oil with it. And that really helps to open up the airways and clear away the congestion. But um, I will put eucalyptus and peppermint in a diffuser in their room and, and run that at night. And when they have any congestion or anything like that, it's super good for that. It is also very helpful for upset stomachs. So you can just rub a little bit on the bottom of your feet or put a couple of drops in your water. And it's really good at helping with, um, indigestion and upset stomachs. Okay. Lavender oil. Number two, this oil can be used for so many different things as well. And I use this mostly in our home for relaxation and anxiety. So we've talked about before that I love to put lavender drops in my Epsom salt bath before bed. It's just so relaxing and it's so nice for that. I also diffuse lavender or like a blend of lavender in my bedroom every night before, you know, when we're going to bed, I always put that in our diffuser and start that up. And then You can also, I don't do this every night, but I do it pretty often. I will mix a few drops of, um, the lavender oil with some like coconut oil. I use the fractionated coconut oil, but I can put a little bit of that and rub it on my kid's feet at night. Just a real quick, you know, 30 second minute long little foot massage with that oil. And that is just so relaxing to kids as well. So it's really good for them. Okay. Number three, tea tree oil. It's also called Melaleuca. Um, just kind of the common name it goes by as most people call it tea tree. So, um, this is kind of a Jack of all trades oil. It has amazing healing properties and it is great to use on breakouts and cold sores and just other skin irritations in general. Um, like bug bites, things like that. And it's also amazing to use in like a homemade salve for cuts and scrapes. So just really good. Just think tea tree oil, think uh, skin. Like it's just really good for all kinds of skin issues. Okay. Number four, orange. So this is one of my very favorite oils along with lemon. It's not actually on the list. So this is a kind of a twofer, but, um, really citrus oils in general, but orange is my favorite. Um, I'll typically use this in my homemade hand sanitizer. I'll use orange along with lemon and sometimes grapefruit oil. I, I love those three together they're just great pick-me-up oils and the orange is so good for your mood and it just helps you wake up. It can even help you stay focused. So I love to diffuse the orange oil. And then like I said, with a blend of other citrus oils, like in our office or at our home during the day, So it's so, it's so antiseptic and it's a moon boosting as well. So in addition to mood enhancing, so it's just good to kind of keep you, keeps the air fresh and, and vibrant and kind of keeps your brain just turned on. It's, it's just really good. And if I'm having a hard time waking up or feeling kind of down, I will put a drop of orange oil in my hands and rub them together. And then I will just cup them over my nose and mouth and take a few deep breaths it is amazing how that just wakened you. And, oh, I can't say enough good things and it smells so good. <laughs> so real quick, I'm going to tell you how I make like a super easy hand sanitizer. So part, like I don't use hand sanitizers. I don't want my kids using hand sanitizers. Um, you know, we have a microbiome on our skin. Like we've, I've talked about that for your face. We And and there are real benefits to having soy. I'm sorry, soy soil microorganisms get into your mouth and your kids' mouths, and I mean those little guys that they help populate our gut with good bacteria. Like we need that stuff, and I think we're in a society where we're so like you know, kill all the germs and make everything as sanitary as possible. But it's really not good for us. And I think we can see the results of that in all the, the gut issues that people have. I mean, amongst other things leading to that, definitely the fact that nobody's working in the dirt with their hands anymore. And, you know, we're not outside doing all that. It's like always scrub and hand sanitizer and all this crazy stuff. So, and, and all of our soaps being antibacterial. And they've even started taking those off the shelves because they're starting to realize that, that it's really not good for us. We, we need the bacteria on our hands because they help keep that balance. So, um, while I call this a hand sanitizer, it's really not a sanitizer. It is, um, it is like, um, Let's see what's the right word for it's like a, it's a moon it's immune boosting and it is antiseptic but it's not um, this is not like going to kill all the microbes on your skin like that's not as a matter of fact it's going to help boost the good ones and um, so this is um, my alternative to a hand sanitizer so I don't have an exact recipe because I just kind of wing it and I I have a little bottle that I um, put it in and I just actually i have several bottles of this but i have a specific type of bottle that i make this in so i just know what it looks you know what it looks like when i put it in there and what i want it to look like but i think it's approximately 3 ounces of aloe vera gel now you want to get the 100% aloe vera gel this is the real thing that you could eat so you can get this in health food stores whole foods Fresh time market stuff like that. Um, it's 100% aloe vera gel. Make sure it's nothing other than that. Um, then you're also going to want to use one ounce, about about one ounce of water. So I'm just thinning that aloe vera a little bit. And then about five to ten drops of tea tree oil, five to ten drops of orange or lemon oil, or you could use grapefruit, and five to ten drops of lavender. And then basically you're just I know five to 10 drops sounds like a big difference and it is, you just, you're just going to do it depending on what you want it to smell like. And you just kind of find your favorite um, mixture basically is what you want to do. So then you're just going to shake all that together in a container and that's it. So I just shake it before we put it on our hands. And then I just You know, put a few little squirts in our kids' hands and they just rub that all over and that's it. And we do that several times a day, especially during kind of the cold and flu season, just to help boost immunity. And I will have them rub that on their hands. And then, like I just explained with the orange oil, they will then hold that up to their nose and mouth, take a few deep breaths, and then that's it. So, okay. And number five, my final one is sandalwood essential oil. So, this is a really great oil that my husband specifically likes. First, the smell is very often liked by men. It can be um, used in place of cologne. It's kind of a more of a manly scent. It's also a natural aphrodisiac. So it can help increase libido, especially in men, and can be added even into their lotions and massage oils for that reason. So um, it's also great under the arms as like a natural deodorant. Um, let's see Sandalwood is also very anti-inflammatory and it's great for skin irritations, blemishes, swollen muscles, uh, achy joints, etc. You can also take sandalwood internally. Um, it, it works really well as an expert uh, export like, if you have a cough and, um, have like something, some kind of upper respiratory thing going on and you're coughing a lot or feel like you're, you just are real congested. This can be excellent for that. Um, it's very good at treating coughs. And it even is excellent at fighting viral infections that could lead to coughs, colds, flus, et cetera. So you can take this by putting a few drops in a vegetable like caplet, those are capsules um, yourself and then taking them that way. Or you can dilute like one drop in about four ounces of liquid and take it that way. So very effective. So that is my top five. I would say if you are getting started on essential oils, or you don't know where to start and you want some that you're like, okay, I'm not going to invest in 25 or 50 oils. Tell me what ones I'm going to use. I would say if you have these five or six or seven, I ended up mentioning with some of those citrus oils, but if you have these, you're going to be good to go you can pretty much do anything you need to do with these oils or a combination of these oils it is very important that you are paying attention to the quality of the oils that you're buying you want to make sure that you are using oils that are 100 percent essential oils um, that they are processed properly so they are maintaining the potency like you don't want to get something that the way they process it is basically getting to you is like a dead essential oil that's not going to do anything for you and it's lost all its medicinal properties you don't want that so I know two of the big companies that are out there are young living and uh, doterra I personally most of my oils are doterra I don't sell them I'm I don't I'm not you know, associated with anybody that sells them. I don't make any money off of them. Um, But I have been very happy with the doTERRA line. I've used Long Living as well. Don't have any issues with them. Um, And there are other ones that you can find out there that are um, sustainably sourced and 100% organic, um, two websites I would tell you to go to, to get more information about essential oils that are really, really good at teaching you about them. And they're not selling anything. They don't have any skin in the game. So to speak is wellnessmama.com. That's wellnessmama, m-a-m-a dot com and com. Both of them, if you go to their websites and type in essential oils, you will get a ton of information. They have their favorites that they'll tell you all about and and they're, they've got their wealth of knowledge. Okay, so really quickly to wrap this episode up, I want to talk to you about microgreens. So I was at my local farmer's market last weekend and, or two weekends, I guess it was a couple weekends ago, and picked up some microgreens and was like instantly hooked. Now I've had them before like in restaurants and places that I've um, been, a lot of times nicer restaurants will use them as a garnish and they've been good, but these ones I picked up at the farmer's market were just unbelievable. I mean, the, the flavor was so amazing, but when I bought these from her, she gave me this really, this really informative little brochure. And it says, um, it kind of talks all about it. And these, the it's referenced from all these different, um, food journals and, um, NPR radio and all this different science behind them. So I was just going to read this to you really quickly. Um I just think it's really interesting, really good information. So it says feeling a bit under the weather, need a little pep in your step, a sprinkling of microgreens on your salad or soup might be just what you need. And actually as I said in my Instagram, I had been posting pictures. I put them on hamburgers on on fish, on green or on eggs. I love them on my eggs. They're amazing. Um, research with the University of Maryland College of Agriculture and Natural Resources and the United States Department of Agriculture recently completed a study to determine the level of nutrients in microgreens compared to their mature counterparts. So what are microgreens exactly? They are tiny, immature versions of vegetable, herbs, and other plants harvested anywhere from a week to two weeks after germination that tend to be about one to two inches long with the stem and leaves still attached microgreens are typically seen in fine dining restaurants used as, a, as delicately placed garnishes for a pop of unique flavor. Assistant Professor Quinn Wang at and graduate student, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that word <laughs> or that name, uh, with the College of AGNR's Department of Nutrition and Food Sciences, participated in the study, which looked at nutrients like vitamin C, E, K, and beta carotene found in 25 different types of microgreens, including cilantro, celery, red cabbage, green basil, and arugula. Their study ultimately discovered that the microgreens contain four to 40 times more nutrients than their mature counterparts. Whoa. Whoa. Uh, I'll take it. (laughs) We were really surprised, said Wang, of the findings, which were published in the Journal of of Agriculture and Food Chemistry. Those nutrients are very important to us. Vitamin C is considered an antioxidant as well as vitamin E, so they're very important for us to consume. So it has been long speculated that micro greens packed a potent punch of antioxidants, but until now, no research existed to support the theory. There's just no evidence, Wang said. That's what motivates us to do this kind of research. So they've uh, also looked at um, increasing, they talk about increasing production and lowering the cost of microgreens because at this time, they're pretty expensive, as you can imagine, because you're, um, you know, you need a ton of them and you're harvesting them so young before they can become, um, mature. But so obviously the biggest thing with, with these microgreens is they are just really super, um, nutrient dense and vitamin dense. There's just, it's amazing uh, how dense these are. Now I was reading the differences between, um, microgreens and, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Sprouts and i i like sprouts okay but i've never particularly loved sprouts certainly not as much as microgreens so what i thought was really interesting is that so these microgreens are baby greens they're actually harvested later than the sprouts so they provide like a really like great flavor as compared to sprouts so Uh, One of the big differences is, is that microgreens you are growing in, you're actually growing them in dirt and like you would if you were actually growing the vegetable and then you're just harvesting them super early. So they're just miniature plants of the greens or herbs or whatever vegetable where, um, the sprouts you're sprouting, you're not sprouting them in, soil. So that's kind of one of the other really cool things about these microgreens is you're actually um, sprouting them in the soil and growing them that way. So what can they be? They can be a whole bunch of really pretty much anything. So, and another difference between them and sprouts is sprouts, you're only eating the stem and leaves and not the seed and the root, but in the microgreens, you're eating all of it. So, and it, it kills the, the, kind of solves the problem of the potential for the bacteria growth in the sprouts. It is rare to have b- bacteria growth in sprouts, but because they're grown in an open air environment, um, these microgreens and they're grown in soil, you' are you're really kind of eliminating that bacteria growth potential like the way that sprouts are grown, there is a bacteria potential there. Um, so these microgreens they can be lettuce, kale, spinach, radish, beets, watercress, any herb. Uh, any type of green, cabbage, mustard, chia, sunflower, buckwheat. I mean, there are so many options for these microgreens. So anyway, I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was really cool. So you can eat the entire plant roots to leaves. And um, one of the most, you know, the most popular ones are the ones that are going to taste the best and have these really pretty colors for, for, presentation. So often you're going to see like the kale, the spinach, the radish, the beet and the watercress. Those are really super popular ones to use and they've got a good variety of color. Um, but like I said, it could be any of these other ones. So I think that you'll really enjoy these. If you haven't had them yet, try to give, you know, give them a try. See if you can find these maybe in your local Whole Foods. I haven't checked to see if ours has them, but definitely if you have a farmer's market nearby, look into that. And you could also go online and see how to grow them yourself. You can totally grow these yourself. And if you haven't tried them yet, I just urge you to, they are just super, super good. And I have really been enjoying those okay guys, well, that is all I have for you on this episode. I hope that you got a lot of really great information. Thanks for sticking it out with me here. Uh, thanks for coming back every week and listening and until next week, I guess this is all I've got for you. And I will I'll keep real quick. Uh, keep the questions coming, keep, you know, keep, let me know what you want to hear about and what interests you. And if you want to send me an email, you can do so by sending it to jessica at jessicatie.com. Again, that's jessica at jessicatie.com. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at that keto blonde. And Facebook, I am on facebook.com backslash Jessica Ty Nutrition. You can follow my nutritional page there. And you can visit my website is www.jessicatye.com. You can listen to all the episodes, all my podcast episodes on there. You can find out more information about how to coach with me. You can send me um, emails there or try to follow up on, you know, you can send me comments there. You can also schedule a free 15 minute consultation with me if you are interested in that and um pretty much anything else you need to do that would be related to me you can find it on that website <laughs> so um that's pretty much it don't forget to check out the the uh low carb cruise information that i that i was talking to you about don't forget to get your your entries in there to jimmy i would love to meet you guys on that low carb cruise and hey if you're just interested in going and you're like shoot i'll spring for a ticket i want to go then that would be awesome let me know if you're going to be on that cruise i would love to meet you in person and that would just be awesome. Make my day. So thanks again for listening and tuning in and I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.
0: This episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast is brought to you by Peely Nuts. The Peely Nut is a rich buttery tree nut wild harvested from deep in the Filipino rainforest. The taste is like no other in the world, often approximated as a combination between a macadamia nut and a cashew, but with a stronger, more tender flavor. You've heard about it on the podcast here. It is basically like the perfect keto snack, uh, rich, buttery flavor, uh, all the macros you want, and uh, very easy to uh, obtain. Just go to eatpeelynuts.com, and if you want 10% off of your order, just enter in the code JessicaTai. Uh, before you check out that's j-e-s-s-i-c-a-t-y-e go to www.eatpeelingnuts that's e-a-t-p-i-l-i-n-u-t-s.com thank you for listening to this episode of the keto lifestyle podcast we hope that you enjoyed what we share with you today and are looking forward to the next episode